I know you're all super curious about what's going on up here. Pastor Paul doesn't use props. What's he doing? This is crazy. Well, this morning, as many of you may have noticed online, we're starting a new series, a new series on Jonah. And you can't do Jonah without felt board. I mean, how can you teach Jonah and not use felt board? So I felt it was appropriate that... I'm, I'm getting ahead of the... You're seeing, you're seeing more than you should at this point, but... There we go. I mean, really, how, I mean, we all know Jonah, right? It's a story we've all heard about this, this uh, rebellious prophet... And we just finished a series on the imperfect disciple. And I was thinking, like, what do we do next, just for a few weeks before life groups maybe start up again officially in February? And I thought, well, who's the most imperfect disciple I can think of in the Bible? And we can use as an example. And so we're going to do Jonah, the imperfect prophet. And I'll just give you a quick rehash of the story. It really gets summed up in the first pretty much four, three verses of the book of Jonah. Oh, I can take my mask off. <laughs> and uh, it gets summed up in the first three verses of the book of Jonah. But I'll just, I'll just remind you sort of of the whole story so that we're all on the same page. I, I did some teaching a couple of months ago, and I was teaching on Nehemiah, and I was going along, and I was literally like halfway through, and I realized not everybody in my audience even had read Nehemiah or knew who I was talking about, and so I'm not going to make that mistake today. I'm going to talk about who Jonah is so that everybody understands. Jonah 1, 1 to 3 starts this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But... Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa to found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. That's pretty much the summary of Jonah. This is a guy who's running away from God. Why is he running away from God? Because he's asked him to go and prophesy and preach in Nineveh, who are the hated enemies of Israel. And uh, so here we have, here's Jonah's hometown, and he gets on the road, and he goes down to the port, and he talked to this captain. He says, hey, can you take me to Joppa? And, you know, he's, this is a sign. I got this down here, so you can see he's at the beach, right? And he says, hey, I want to I I leave here. I'm in Joppa. I want to go to Tarshish. So Tarshish is like as far west as you can go. It's probably in Spain, is where they think Tarshish is, and he's supposed to go east, and so he's going the opposite direction. And they're like, yeah, we can get you on a boat, and we'll sail off, and, and we'll go to Tarshish. So there they are sailing on the way to Tarshish, right? And then you know that running into a storm, you know, we're going to get all into this later, but there's a storm, you know, so the clouds get stormy. <laughs> <laughs> And the waves come up, and then they're like, he's like, throw me overboard, I'm the cause of the problem. So then he gets eaten by, he gets eaten by a big fish or a whale. Word can be used either way. And he spends some time in the whale, and then he prays, and God talks to him, says, no, you've got to go to Nineveh. So then he gets thrown up on the beach, and I'll get into that later. We're not going to get that far. So 
But anyway, there's the story of Jonah. He ends up going to Nineveh. But he doesn't like it. He hates it. He hates being there. But it just seemed appropriate that, you know, felt board would be used here. So I thank Harry Morgan over at the United Church because he had some felt board I could use, and he loaned that to me. But as we get into Jonah, we're not actually going to get super far into, and and you can focus on me now. You don't need to focus on that for the people at home. Um, We're not going to get too far into Jonah. I want to talk about Jonah. Um, Jonah's different than all the other prophetic books, major and minor prophets in the Bible. Um, Those prophetic books, as you know, focus very strongly on the words of God to his people. The word of the Lord came, and Jeremiah prophesied, Isaiah prophesied, Amos, Hosea, all of them prophesied the words of the Lord. But if you'll notice, maybe you hadn't noticed this before, Jonah has almost no words of God to the people through Jonah. The book of Jonah as a prophet is about the prophet Jonah. It's his story. It's about him. Um, And it talks about who he is. Now, the book itself is almost certainly an account given by Jonah, whether it was written by Jonah or whether this is an oral story that he gave and scribes wrote it down. Um, all the other prophetic books are generally written by scribes who are recording the, the, the sermons of the prophets. They are prophesying. They're not writing. They're out prophesying, and the scribes are recording the prophetic words. In this case, apart from some sort of supernatural revelation, only Jonah and the sailors know all of this story, or most of it. And so Jonah is almost certainly the writer of this book, or at least the teller of his own story. And there's no reason he couldn't be the author. And there's been some debate over the centuries about what genre or style of book Jonah is. It doesn't really fit into anything too neatly. It's a little bit like satire. Um, it's, a, it's a biographical history. Um, but what is obvious about the book, whatever its style, is that it's didactic. It's meant to teach. This is a book that is meant to teach. At the end of chapter 4, we don't actually get closure on Jonah himself. God has the final word, and we never really learn whether Jonah understood the lessons of God, or repented, or redeemed himself. However, Jonah has written the book, and so we can take the presence of the book itself as evidence that Jonah knew these were lessons that God's people needed to hear, and the book itself in some way is the redemption of Jonah. It's Jonah's final agreement that God was right all along, and everybody needs to know that God is right, and he wants us and the nation of Israel to know this. So Jonah wants us to learn from his own experience. It's a book about Jonah. It's a, it's a story of a part of his life. And he's recorded this history in such a way as to make the lessons land with literary force on his readers. There's structures in the text beneath the story that point us to the contrast that we should see between justice and mercy and repentance and forgiveness, between Jonah and the pagans and Gentiles, between man and God. And we're going to unpack all of those lessons as we go through this in the next four or five weeks. I don't know how long it'll go. We'll just see. What we start with, with the book of Jonah, is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us in 123. The Word of God is a mirror that we should look into, and we should compare ourselves to the mirror of the Word of God and not go away from that mirror unchanged but transformed, and we will be blessed by doing so. 
And so that's what Jonah's about. Let us as imperfect disciples learn the lessons of the imperfect prophet. We have this example held up to us as a mirror in our own lives, and we can come away from Jonah transformed. And let me just pray as we begin to understand Jonah and his book. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the miracle of felt board and just Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson that, I'm being serious, felt board imprinted on kids' hearts uh, the stories and the lessons of a glorious God who's merciful beyond all understanding. And so, Father, help us to learn today. Help us to humble ourselves, to go back to Sunday school and learn from Jonah in the big fish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's several lessons in Jonah, and some of the lessons are about God. We're going to learn what God says about himself. And some of them are about mercy and justice and evil and repentance. But there's an overarching story or lesson in Jonah that covers the whole history, the whole account, as it relates to Jonah. And it's a lesson that we need to learn about spiritual decline or spiritual blindness in a particular area of our life. Every follower of God I've encountered in my life, including myself, has wrestled with the problem of spiritual decline. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. We know that any disciple can experience seasons of intimate closeness to God. They can be a vibrant participant in the community of God's people. They can serve. They can share their faith. They can give leadership. They can testify and witness. And then suddenly they enter a season where they seem to withdraw. Something happens in their life. Some circumstance comes up. And they stop coming to church, they drop off committees, they don't read their Bible, they stop praying. In fact, it can often appear like they are living and acting in ways now that are completely contrary to the things that they believed about God and about themselves and their identity. And we wonder sometimes when when we're still going to church and praying and we're still in that spiritual high point, we look at these people that have withdrawn and seem to be walking away, running away from God, and we wonder, how do they reconcile their current behavior with what we know that they know? how, How do they hold those two things together? Well, spiritual decline, or as I say, it could be just blindness in one area, is more common in the Christian life than we sometimes care to admit. And so Jonah has very graciously put his own life on display to give us some warnings about what the indicators of spiritual decline are and the consequences of it and where God is in the midst of it. And those are some of the things we'll be looking at as we go through this series. But one thing we have to understand about spiritual decline is that whether it's us as disciples or Jonah as a prophet, Jonah was up before he was down. We're all up in our relationship with God before we slide down. And Jonah gets a bad rap because his book is mostly about his failure. But it wasn't always that way with Jonah. This morning, that's what I want to spend most of my time on, is understanding where Jonah was and the lessons we can learn about where he ended up in general, in broad strokes. We don't get a lot of history about the prophet Jonah in his own book or in the rest of the Bible for that matter. He's only mentioned in a very passing way one other time in 2 Kings chapter 14. 
And I'll just read it for you, and we'll pull the context out of it. It says in 2 Kings 14, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, this is the second Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned forty-one years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Jeroboam, both of them, were bad kings. Okay? He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's the first Jeroboam, first king of Israel. Okay, so both of these Jeroboams are evil. The new Jeroboam has done all the same evil that the first Jeroboam did. Which he made Israel to sin. Now he, this Jeroboam, restored the border of Israel from Lebo-Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. That's it. That's the only other mention of Jonah, son of Amittai, this prophet who was prophesying during the time of Jeroboam, the 13th king of Israel, who is just as evil as Jeroboam, the first king of Israel. This reference gives us the location and the time of Jonah's ministry as a prophet. And although it's brief, it does give us some significant context that uh, applies now to his adventures with God and the sailors and a big fish and the city of Nineveh and a vine and a worm, which we're going to get into in further messages. Jonah is a prophet during the time of the divided kingdom of Israel, and sometimes Israel is called Ephraim. So at this point in time, it's been sort of a civil war after Solomon. Okay, so there is the southern kingdom of Jerusalem and the tribe of Benjamin and Judah, and then there's the northern kingdom of Israel, which is all the rest of Israel, and it's under Jeroboam. And so it's split right now. Amaziah is king in the south, and Jeroboam is king in the north. In the background to Jonah's spiritual decline and rebellion in his own book is actually a historical context of what seems to be great spiritual abundance in his life early on. Now let's just think about that. Jonah is a prophet. This is a man who has been singled out and specifically chosen and blessed by God. He's a prophet of God, and he experienced God in ways that others of the Old Covenant never did. The prophet Amos, a contemporary of Jonah, actually, says in Amos 3.7, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The ordinary believer's knowledge in the Old Covenant of the heart of God came secondhand to them from the prophets. For instance, the people often went to Moses to find out what God's intentions were. They called on Samuel or Elijah to guide them and to know God's purpose. The people under the Old Covenant did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them the way believers in the New Covenant do. They relied on the priests and the prophets and even judges to know how God would act and what they should do. And so the prophets received visions and the word of God by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Jonah's a prophet. So that, that means Jonah was carried along by the Holy Spirit. He had the word of God. And he's also a writer of Old Testament scripture. There's only a few people in history that get to make the claim of that kind of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So Jonah's a prophet. He's carried along by the Holy Spirit. He knows the word of God. It's given to him. He prophesies it. 
In some ways, Jonah and the prophets received kind of new covenant privileges with the Holy Spirit, or even better than new covenant privileges during the Old Covenant. Jonah's life would have been marked and characterized by a sense of the presence of God unlike any other of his fellow Israelites, other than other prophets. So before his decline, Jonah started out on top. He was a prophet. He's a writer of the Old Testament. He had the Holy Spirit and a relationship with God like none others. Not only that, secondly, Jonah experienced at that time strong spiritual friends and counsel and community. Jonah appears, we get from this text in verse Kings, he appears prophesying just at the end of the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Israel as a whole, the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah eventually, but the northern kingdom of Israel is is basically decaying into more and more evil practices. God, at the same time that Israel is falling, God is raising up a community of prophets unlike any other that was seen before. And these men were key in establishing what the Old Testament calls the schools of the prophets, and they're mentioned from time to time in 1 Samuel 19 and 2 Kings 2 and 2 Kings 4. And there are at least three locations, maybe more, schools of maybe 50 to 100 prophets or disciples of prophets that were instructed by Samuel and instructed by Elijah and Elisha. And these prophets and and disciples lived in community together and they shared their teaching and their prayer and their knowledge of God. And they were thriving communities of spirit-led faith living in contrast to the apostasy of Israel and its decline. And again, it's almost a new covenant kind of marker in the midst of the old covenant. Just as we have the church today that stands as communities of faith and encouragement counterculturally to the nations around us, Jonah had the schools of the prophets, and he had Amos and Hosea and contemporaries like that. He was probably taught by Elisha. Jonah appears right at the time of these spiritual communities. And he's also a contemporary, as I said, of Amos and Hosea, two other prophets that are recorded in the Old Testament. And Jonah was almost certainly a part of this revival movement of prophetic voice in Israel. And so Jonah's a prophet. He had a singular relationship with the Holy Spirit. He he knew the heart of God like few other Israelites ever could or would. He had almost certainly a part of a supportive, vibrant faith community. But thirdly, Jonah was also engaged in fruitful ministry himself. 2 Kings 14 tells us that the people remembered Jonah's preaching. It says, Jonah had prophesied that Israel would have its borders expanded even under evil Jeroboam. And after decades had passed, Jeroboam reigned for 40-some-odd years, and after decades of his reign, that expansion came about the Jeroboam did expand the borders of Israel. And when that expansion happened, Second King tells us that people remembered that it was Jonah that prophesied that this would take place. Hey, do you see this growth that Israel is experiencing? It was Jonah that prophesied by the word of God that Israel would grow, even in this time. It's nice to be a preacher whose sermons are remembered. It makes you feel like your ministry was accomplishing something. Do you remember what I preached on two weeks ago? Don't worry, I don't either. But, but Jonah's sermons were remembered. He, he was a prophet who was, I mean, by this small indication, successful. 
And on top of that, he gets to write a book of the Old Testament. There were other prophets we don't even learn the names of in Israel who were prophesying. But Jonah is remembered, and he's one of the 12 minor prophets that gets to have a book. And we give Jonah a pretty rough time about his character because of his own book, of course. But I say all of this because even though this is a very brief reference in Second King, the context in terms of time and history and who his contemporaries were, it tells us that obviously Jonah was way up before Jonah was down. And we beat up Jonah a lot because of this whole experience of running away from God. But there was a time that Jonah was not running from God. He was preaching and prophesying. He was, he was with his contemporaries. He was part of the revival. He was working to speak the truth to a nation that was in decline. He was at the forefront of the threat to Israel's worship of God. But then, so if there was a man that at this point in his life could say he knew the blessing of God like few others ever had, it was Jonah. He had all this history. He had all this track record. He had all this blessing of God like others never had. But lesson number one of spiritual decline then is that all of that historical blessing does not exempt Jonah from present disobedience and spiritual blindness. And for us as disciples of God, just like Jonah cannot simply rest on past accomplishment or past blessing when it comes to how we're living out our life now before God. There's new circumstances that come up for Jonah. That's what happens. Things change. He was prophesying now in a different situation. The culture shifted around him, and God asked him of different things now than God asked of him before. And he had to adjust and reapply his knowledge of God and to acknowledge afresh the sovereignty of God to direct his steps. He couldn't just rest in the past and the way things used to be, the good old days. They weren't even good old days. It was evil Jeroboam, but Jonah was happy, so to speak, in those old days. He was a prophet and preaching, and now he just wants to run. He was content to prophesy to his own people. He was reasonably comfortable with his role in Israel. He felt good being part of the community of prophets whose word came true. He was considered a true prophet because it happened what he said. Sure, Israel was corrupt from the inside out, but the nation was prospering, and he was enjoying that spiritual revival with his prophetic friends. But then, as I say, things started to change. Now Israel is facing outside threats, and it's not clear it would be able to stand up against those threats. And God wasn't asking Jonah to preach to Israel. God wanted Jonah to go and show mercy and compassion in the very face of the threat against the nation. And maybe Jonah liked his comfortable faith and his circumstances of the past. We know he did not like how things had changed. That's what we do know. We know from the book of Jonah that he did not like what God was asking of him now. That much we know for certain. And so things changed. And when we think about spiritual decline, the first lesson is we can't just rest in past blessing and past glory and past accomplishment. So what about else? What else can we learn about this? Well, there's one thing that comes through from the book of Jonah in various ways, and I'll touch on them, and we'll touch on them more in the future. But as I said, just in broad brushstrokes this morning, the first thing that is clear is a lesson about God. One clear lesson about God from Jonah is that he is sovereign. 
God is in control. God is in control over the land and the sea. Jonah says himself in the first chapter that he fears the God who is the God over land and sea. He is sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over the rise and fall of prosperity or failure of nations, whether they're evil or good. He's sovereign over Israel. He's sovereign over Nineveh. God is sovereign over lots being chosen or dice cast says in chapter 1 when the sailors cast lots and in Proverbs 16:33 God is sovereign over everything God is sovereign over the steps and action of his people God is sovereign over where Jonah is going to end up whether they are rebellious or obedient God is sovereign over all things Jonah the book of Jonah teaches us that And when we're in a state of spiritual decline the way Jonah is, or perhaps just because of circumstances or spiritual stubbornness, we're struggling to accept the obedience that God has called us to take, are we submitting ourselves and reminding ourselves of God's sovereignty, that God is in charge of the outcomes? Because we can stop coming to church, we can stop talking to our Christian friends, we can stop praying, we can stop reading our Bible, and we can pretend like we're in control of our life the way Jonah pretended like he could decide where he wanted to go. But the first lesson of Jonah is acknowledge the sovereignty of God. He's sovereign over the weather, he's sovereign over creation, he's sovereign over lots cast, he's sovereign over big fish, he's sovereign over the steps that you will take. Jonah would have certainly read the book of Job, which states, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job is one of the first books of the Bible ever recorded. It's one of the oldest stories of the Bible, and Job certainly knew it. Or sorry, Jonah certainly knew it. And he just seemed to ignore that verse. Jonah tries to thwart the purposes of God. And as a prophet, you would think, that's going to be a futile attempt. But he does it anyway. When we're in spiritual decline, we can forget that God's in control and we can think, hey, I can figure out what's going on in my life. I can do what I want to do. The Apostle Paul restates the power of this sovereignty over God's people in a very positive light. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 28. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who called according to his purpose. Jonah was called according to God's purpose, and all the things that happened to Jonah were for Jonah's good. Even though it didn't seem good. Storm, fish, getting vomited up on a beach, having to go to the city of his enemies, preach God's word, sit in the desert and sulk. You know, none of that seemed good, but God was using it for good. So as we consider our own spiritual declension, and you're here this morning, so I'm going to assume that you're not all the way down the road of that spiritual declension, or you wouldn't even be here. But if you're listening online because you're kind of embarrassed to come to church this morning, and you're in this kind of feeling of withdrawing, of wondering why God has called you and where God is calling you to, or just like Jonah wanting to do your own thing and God and his word are kind of interrupting what you want, whatever part of your life where you're resisting the will of God or the word of God or the spirit of God or even resisting the fellowship with God's people, remember that God is in complete control anyway. There is a place that God wants all his people And it's far more joyful for us to follow God in where he wants us to be than to be rebellious like Jonah. I mean, I don't know whether we'll get swallowed by a big fish and vomited up on a beach, but your life might feel that way. 
if you keep resisting God. In fact, that might be preferable to some of the situations we end up in when we resist God. The lesson number one of Jonah in spiritual decline is God is in control anyway. He's sovereign. And he makes his sovereignty known throughout this story. The second lesson is about us. We, as disciples, must be cautious of resting on past blessing or past accomplishment. God is always at work, and what he asks of us today is not what he asked of us yesterday. Usually we struggle with God's sovereignty, with the idea that he works all things for good because things no longer look good to us. Sure, our relationship with God was great at the beginning when we felt our burdens lifted, when his presence felt so close to us, when when big parts of our lives seemed to get sorted out as we gave up on the foolishness of our own wisdom and we turned to the wisdom and the clarity of God and he brought mercy and repentance and forgiveness into our life and and things really did seem to, to get sorted out. God wants your life to be better in that way. And when God was teaching us the small lessons that we could handle when we were little babies in the faith, and he was like, just learn this, learn this, let me show you this. And it's like, yeah, I can handle these lessons. This is great. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. And I am, I got it, Lord, I got this. But God doesn't just leave us in spiritual kindergarten. He doesn't just leave us where he finds us. He loves us too much not to mature us. And and, and what God asked of us yesterday is not what God may ask of us today or tomorrow. Near the end of his career, perhaps near the end of his life, Jonah found God was asking the hardest things of him. He was asking Jonah to love pagan enemies, to offer a chance of survival to a nation that in just a few decades will turn around and enslave Israel. And I don't know this for sure, but I almost have the idea that probably Jonah knew that because he knew the heart of God and he had the plans of God given to him by the Holy Spirit. And Nineveh was, and Assyria was an evil empire in its own right, and they were a thorn in the side of Israel. But at this time, Nineveh was actually a bit on the decline. And Jonah's probably thinking, God, just leave them down. Let the famine and let the, let the revolts that are taking place in the city and in the area, just let that keep going. We don't want them to repent because Assyria is going to come back and enslave Israel really soon after this. And I don't know for sure, but I, I have a hunch that maybe Jonah knew that. And he hated the idea that God would be merciful to his enemies. I will preach to my people. I want my brothers and sisters in Israel to know the Lord and to worship the Lord. I will prophesy and preach in Israel all you want, God, but don't send me to Nineveh. Jonah found God was asking the hardest things of him to offer this chance of survival to a nation that would turn around and destroy Israel, to do the very things that we learn several times through this story that Jonah would rather die than do. Now, how often do we get to say that, that God is asking me to do something that I would rather die than do? God is very easy on us and merciful, is he not? He rarely puts us in situations where we say, you know what, God, I understand where you're leading me. I'm very clear what your word is telling me. I'm just going to die instead, right? Like, doesn't happen that often, but that's where he put Jonah. And as disciples, we need to recognize that God has begun something that he intends to finish, and he's going to take and expect some work on our part. 
The Apostle Paul talks about this a fair bit in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 1 of Philippians, he states his confidence in God's sovereignty over the outcome of the church in Philippi, saying, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so he says, God has begun something in you, and he's working something out in you, and it's not going to be done until Jesus comes, but you are working it out. Because he says in chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and will act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul's saying very clearly, God has a purpose in your life, disciples, and he is working, and you should work with him. Work out your salvation, because he's working in you. Man, if Jonah could have heard Paul preach... Right? Paul would have said, Jonah, God is going to complete his work. He's sovereign. He's working something out in you. Work with him. Stop running away. So you keep working too. There's new days. There's new challenges. There's new calls to obedience in your personal life and in our culture. I look around right now as a pastor. And we talked about some of this last Sunday night. And there's more stuff coming through the legal system right now. It seems like a smaller and smaller island that we stand on as faithful proclaimers of the gospel. It just seems like the island is getting smaller. God is calling his church and his disciples to new challenges, just like Jonah. Jonah's like, I'll, I'll preach here. You know, the good old days of just preaching in Israel, that's fine. Oh, you want me to go to Nineveh? Now there's a threat from the outside. I'm, I don't want to face that threat. And God's saying, no, it's coming. You've got to keep working out your salvation. I'm calling you to new challenges, but I'm sovereign over it. I'm working with you. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says the same thing a little bit differently. He says this in Romans 5, 3 to 5. He says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. Man, this would have been such an encouragement to Jonah to hear these words of new covenant promise that Paul gets to preach to us and that we have from the Holy Spirit. He says, don't give up that you're suffering, Jonah. Sufferings produce endurance, and endurance goes on to character, and character goes on to hope, and hope never puts us to shame because God's love is there for us. It's been poured into our hearts. Jonah's not producing any endurance or character by running away. If Jonah had taken a moment to talk to Amos or Hosea or any of his mates at the school of prophecy, if he'd gone back to church for a little while and sat down and talked to a fellow disciple to be encouraged, they would have said the same thing. If you take the time to ask a brother Christian or sister Christian about the crisis you're facing, about the struggle you're having, if you're in spiritual decline, come to church, talk to people, go out for coffee with a trusted disciple. By all means, listen to them as they rehearse to you the words of God to encourage you. Nobody, no matter how spiritual you think you are, is beyond the ability to get on the wrong side of something or to go too far in your own wisdom and to find yourself departing from God's will because of a blind spot that Jonah had about his enemies or just about a spiritual decline, a misunderstanding, or a not willingness to obey God. You need to stay in church community. You need to listen to the Word of God, because He is at work in you. 
And it wasn't just Jonah who had this problem. It's interesting, just as a bit of an aside, right in the middle of the book of the prophet Jeremiah, we have a little snippet of a similar experience that Jeremiah had. Jeremiah, like Jonah, was a prophet who had to speak the word of God to a nation that was in steady decline. Jeremiah was even told that his preaching wasn't actually going to stop what was going to happen. That Israel was determined to do evil. And so frustrated, I imagine, at some point in his preaching, Jeremiah got a little carried away with himself. He went a little too far off the track of God's word. And God had to pull him back in, just like he had to pull Jonah back in. Jeremiah didn't have to get swallowed by a fish. But it says in Jeremiah 15, 19, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, he's talking to Jeremiah here, if you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth, and they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. So God says, say the precious things, Jeremiah. Say the holy things. People don't need to hear your words. They need to hear my words. Be my prophet again, and I will restore you. Sounds like what God would say to Jonah. And the offer stands for us. God says, you've been foolish for a little while in your spiritual decline. You've been stubborn, or you've been disobedient, or or you've been wanting to go your own way and have your own way in this area. But God says, that's okay. You come back. Come back to me. And I'll put my words in your mouth again. Leviticus, God says, Leviticus says God's priests had to learn to distinguish the holy from the common. The prodigal son ate with the pigs for a little while, but he woke up and came home. And so that offer is always there for us in spiritual decline. God is at work in us even when we stumble, and he is capable of producing maturity and returning us back to faithfulness in him. But we can't rest on past glory and past mercy for the challenges that God has for us today. Thirdly and finally, God's mercy towards us is always fresh and new for that new day. We are, as we just talked about, going to face new trials and new circumstances, and God will call us deeper into our faith with Him and show us how to trust Him more. But He equips us with what we need to face the new challenges, even if we don't think or even want to. God has equipped us. God has never given you, He's never given me, He's never given any of His servants a day with a challenge that He's not equipped them for. It doesn't feel that way to us all the time. It feels like God's given us something that we just can't handle. But God's mercy for us is fresh every day, and it's mercy for that day. Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread in Matthew 6.11, because we need what God supplies to us for today. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell us to pray for our monthly bread or our yearly bread or a lifetime supply of bread, like we just pray once. Jesus, give me everything I need for the rest of my life. I'm done. We'll talk when I'm dead. No. He says, come to me every single day. Ask Jesus for your daily bread. His mercy is new. Lamentation says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We need to remember that we need his mercy every morning. Before our feet hit the floor, we need the mercy of God. Past blessing must be met with present faith and present obedience. The only thing that suffices for the challenge of the present day is that we go on with God and go deeper with God and continue to be transformed and yield ourselves 
to everything that he calls us to today. Yesterday doesn't matter anymore. Even Jonah on the run found new mercy for himself every day. And as I said, as we start to actually get into the book of Jonah, you're all like, when's he going to get to Jonah? Not today. Um, When we get into these events, he gets mercy from God every single day. Even in disobedience and stubbornness, God showed mercy to Jonah. You're trying to throw yourself into the sea? You're trying to, trying to really kill yourself? Jonah, that's what Jonah thought. He, he thought I was ending his life there. That's where he was at. But you try to kill yourself in the sea, I've got a fish. Oh, you're sulking in the desert because you don't like the fact that Nineveh is repenting? I can grow you a nice leafy vine to give you some shade. Are you angry about this whole episode in your life? Well, I'll just use it as a book in the Bible. I'm going to get glory out of this one way or the other. Even in your disobedience, even in your sinfulness, I will use it for good. Isn't that what Romans 8.28 says? All things are used for good for those who trust Christ. So God's mercy just keeps getting poured out on Jonah. And like I said at the beginning, I think at the end of it, even though Jonah doesn't get the final word, we never really learn. It's kind of left unsatisfactory. It's left for us as a lesson. I think the fact that Jonah told his story and it got written in the book tells us that Jonah finally did get it. It's like, okay, I get it. I get it, God. I get that you're going to use even this, even this disobedience, because your mercy is new to me every day. Now, we've not even really started tackling the text of Jonah, but already we can see just from the broad strokes of his life and his experience, Jonah is a walking textbook for imperfect disciples who are right now wrestling with God, who are dug into making their own choices or just feel themselves on this spiritual decline. A feeling like Jonah, like, I just, I don't get it, God. I just, I'm throwing in the towel. I don't want to, I don't want to go hang out with my friends at the school of prophecy. I don't want to hang out with my friends at church. I don't want to do what you're calling me to do. I just, I remember how good things were in the good old days, and it's not like that anymore, and I just, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And if we're honest, we feel like that, sometimes too often. And there are brothers and sisters connected to this church right now who are disconnected and feeling that way. And it's hard to keep track of them because it's different people here every Sunday because of the capacity limits. But if you're feeling that way, at home or here, or if you know people that you haven't seen for a while and it feels like they're in this spiritual decline, remind them of God's sovereignty. Remind them that God is still working in their life, that they shouldn't just live in how great kindergarten was, but that God has lessons for them and challenges for them to face. But in those challenges, his mercies are new every morning. The life of Jonah was a man on top spiritually. He was a prophet. He had all his friends. God was talking to him. He was preaching. His preaching was remembered. Jonah, a man, a prophet on top spiritually, underlines for us that if we don't continue to yield to God in the present, despite how glorious our past may have been, we can find ourselves disobedient and going in the wrong direction. And next week, we'll unpack from the text, chapter 1, what lessons Jonah has for us in the midst of our spiritual decline. Chapter 1 is going to outline for us where spiritual decline starts, what the symptoms of it are, and what the consequences of spiritual decline are. And there's lessons for us in that next week. And I'll hone my felt board skills for next week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jonah even though we've not really gotten into it yet. But we thank you for the life of Jonah. Thank you for him as a person.
Kind of like Peter, we get down on Jonah a lot, and we kind of just use him as a bad example. I just want to remember that Jonah was your man. He was your prophet. He had the Holy Spirit, unlike many of his contemporaries, and that he was faithful in many ways, and faithful even to share this part of his life and to have it recorded for us. Or we thank you for your faithful servants who wrote the Old Testament, who gave it to us, as James says, a mirror that we can hold ourselves up to and see how we are reflected and not come away unchanged. Or as Paul says, these things were written down as lessons for us. So, Father, help us to learn from Jonah. Help us to remember that you are sovereign over our steps, even when we're rebellious. Help us to remember that We don't rest on past mercy and past blessing. We look forward eagerly to your mercies that are new every morning and your blessing for us today to face the challenges of today. We don't shrink back from them or run from them. We encounter them with confidence, knowing that you are working them to our good, even though it doesn't look that way. Father, we just thank you for all these lessons and give you all the glory for who you are in our life. In Christ's name, amen.